So I spoke on Ash Wednesday about one aspect of growing up in a culture of niceness. And that was having an air of humility, no matter what. Even if it's a false kind of humility. Like many of you, I was raised in the upper Midwest, which has that culture, right? We have that culture of niceness. For example, if you're really good at something, don't show it off too much. People might think you're stuck up, if you do. Avoid confrontation whenever possible. Just let things go. If someone makes you mad, just brush it off and move on. But if you might make people mad, there might be something wrong with you. Oh yeah, say I'm sorry a lot. Always have a smile or a laugh ready. Does any of this sound familiar? Now there's nothing wrong with being kind to people. There's nothing wrong with kindness. But yes, I'm banging on this old drum again. Kindness is light years away from niceness. Niceness is the bare minimum. Niceness is superficial. The nice person doesn't have to engage with anyone else. They don't have to ask the hard questions or accompany others into hard places. Niceness is about tolerating people just enough to get through the day. Sometimes when I hear people say that the point of church is to teach people to be nice, I want to bang my head against this pulpit. Because that's not the church's job. The church's job is not to teach people to be nice. The church's job is to bring people to Christ, who makes people holy. And holy people do not go it alone, but they live in Christian community. Of course, community life can be tough sometimes. We're sinners, every last one of us. Anyone who's been married or in a serious relationship knows what it's like to have that illusion of perfection shattered during the first argument you have with that person. Same is true with the congregation. It's easy to think, well, these are church people. Surely they have this community stuff all figured out, right? That's why I always try to tell people that join our congregation, you are, we are bound to disappoint you at some point. And vice versa. It's just going to happen as part of being in community together. We don't have this community stuff all figured out. Because we can get focused on our own stuff. We can fail to appreciate the struggles of others sometimes. Yet Jesus calls us to life together with other sinful human beings like us. The end goal of the Christian community is not niceness and tolerance. It is so much more than that. Jesus calls us to be part of his beloved community where real forgiveness is practiced every day. This forgiveness, of course, is not always easy. It can be hard to confront someone sometimes, let alone give up a desire to get even, which we, would, which we might call justice, of course. Yet this is the hard work that Jesus calls us to. Being part of the 
Part of being the beloved community means engaging with each other. It means bringing up things that bother us. Jesus doesn't say if someone sins against you, just move on and forget about it. He lays out a number of steps to gently confront someone. Even if they don't listen, Jesus gives this cryptic instruction. Treat them as a Gentile and tax collector. Judging from Jesus' treatment of Gentiles and tax collectors, this seems to mean that they're people in need of mission, not written off completely. The relationship may be broken, but we're never permitted to just write someone off. It goes with what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about not judging, lest we be judged. And there's no limits to the forgiveness offered. Jesus says 77 times, or 70 times 7, an allusion to the unlimited quantity of forgiveness in the beloved community. Forgiveness is always possible because God forgives us. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't healthy boundaries. Sometimes for the sake of our health and the health of the other person, a relationship may have to be broken off. Tragically, at times, reconciliation can't happen on this side of heaven. But forgiveness... Forgiveness, letting go of that desire to punish, to get even, is always possible. Like Sam did. It's like tensing up every muscle in your body really tight and then letting it go. It's more about what it does for you, really, than about what it does for someone else. But pastor, I hear you say, how do I forgive something truly horrible? Something truly awful that happened to me. Well, no, none of us knows what someone else is going through. If you have scars from something awful that someone did to you, that's a unique burden that you bear. And I would be the last person to tell you exactly how to deal with it. But I would suggest this. Jesus says that in this hard work of addressing sin and forgiving others, that he is present among us in that work. We sometimes sentimentalize that verse about wherever two or three are gathered, there I am also. But this is really a visceral kind of text where we are engaged in this hard work of community building, of forgiving sin, Jesus is present there. Jesus is there in the mess, offering us a way to true peace. Jesus is always present in the mess because of his humanity. Yet he is able to help us because he is God. Through his cross, God forgives us all, cancels our debt, all of it. Everything we will ever do and everything we have ever done is taken away by the cross of Christ. And rather than turning us back to our old ways of being, we're given a new way of life, a new way of being, a new community, God's own beloved community, 
where sin is addressed and forgiven continually. You notice this already in the Leviticus text, where there's always this sent, there's always this forgiveness that is offered. Leviticus is talking about death, but in Christ, here we have we have that forgiveness, meaning all kinds of other things as well. After all, it is only when sin is addressed and forgiven that we can find true peace. Let me give you an example. In my first call, there was an elderly gentleman farmer named Charles. And I have not changed his name because this, is, this was a... Sarah knows who I'm talking about. He was a first-class kind of guy. Charles and I did not see eye-to-eye on everything. In fact, we saw eye-to-eye on not a whole lot. But he respected me enough to talk to me privately, to confront me in person when he was upset about something. He would come into my office, and we would have a discussion about it. It might be difficult sometimes. Remember, after one time this happened, I looked at the Fitbit app on my phone, and I opened the app, and I saw that my heart rate had shot up about 150 during that whole conversation. So it wasn't always easy to talk to Charles when he was upset. But he was respectful. He came to me. He didn't go around and talk to everyone else about it. He talked to me. He always told me where he stood. He also gave me context for why he thought what he thought, which was so important. He gave me some insight into his experiences, some of which was pretty vulnerable stuff. I love Charles. And I was sad yet honored when I presided at his funeral about five years ago. He died at the age of 94. I bring up Charles because I see him as a model of how Christians can live out Matthew 18. These verses here, forgiving over and over and over again. We can forgive each other because God has forgiven us. This isn't a Minnesota nice community that Jesus is building. This is the beloved community, the community of Jesus Christ, the community of true shalom. Thanks be to God. Amen.